1: Are you ready? (laughs) Let's do it. I'm ready, baby. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. I'm your guest host, Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. Today's show is very special. I'll be talking to Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives what's going on craig
2: it's all good this is so weird this is so weird you doing intros <laughs> well
1: you know that's what you get with me Poor shit. so what are you up to these days
2: I well, just very busy. So yeah, I've got a bit of a change coming up with regards to my circumstances, and, and yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, I've been traveling a lot, uh, making lots of prototypes. Just yeah, just really busy. Good. One thing that's interesting about
1: you, Craig, is that your knives are are you know generally speaking, culinary knives. So yes, yeah. Tell me how you kind of got started doing knives. I know that you weren't a metal worker to begin with. How did you? How did? What's your story?
2: <laughs> it's it's a bit of a strange one different to most people um but you know up until about four years ago when I I started making noise about four years ago um I'd always been a web designer so you know for you know 20 odd years I right. mean I'm, you know, I'm old I'm really old. You're not that old um but if you do a job for over 20 years you, you sort of become part of a community then you know right. you know and I, I love being part of a community I love the support I love, I love the shared knowledge that a community brings and all that kind of stuff So I started putting on various events and so on for designers, Um, you know, starting with little conferences, you know, maybe sort of 200 people, growing to, you know, a few conferences a year with, you know, up to 1,200 people. You know, they're they're quite big events. People from all over the world would come, that kind of thing. Um, I also set up, like, a co-working studio right in the middle of my home city, which is Cardiff, so people could come and work and collaborate, you know, teach and learn from each other, Um. That also then turned into sort of a publishing company. So we were publishing design books from sort of high-end, you know, high-profile designers, um, which meant over time I was doing, you know, more and more admin and less creating. I wasn't really making stuff, you know, just firefighting, admin, that kind of thing. And to be honest, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really earning much money. I was right. doing lots for the community, but, you know, struggling to make ends meet, really. Right.
1: So what and made it,
2: you start to, like, get making things? Like, physically making Well, that, that's... That's it's coming. It's coming. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it it wasn't healthy for me. That I think that's the main thing. You know, spending fourteen hours in front of a screen seven days a week. You know, it's probably not healthy for anybody. So, I decided to do just one more event, which was a little different. So we hired a sort of retreat kind of venue, and you know, surrounded by acres and acres of woodland. And I put on what I was calling a, a summer camp for designers. Oh, wow. So instead of the usual high-profile designers come in and, you know, speaking in a stuffy theater, which was, you know, what I'd done for years before that, um, it was outdoors. And, you know, attendees, that we'd come, we'd do workshops, we did, you know, screen printing, we did, you know, a making bread, we did a making beer workshop, um, just all hands-on stuff. But the, the favourite one was, you know, we all walked into the woods, we cut down a tree, and we all just carved spoons. It was like a car- you know spoon-carving workshop. Huh. I loved I loved it, you know, a I thought this is what I've been missing. I haven't made anything for so long. So going back then to the city centre office, you know, there's not really much scope for wood, you know, yeah. for carving wooden spoons, you know. Um, so I started making stuff with what I knew, which was code, you know. So I'm making, you know, way before all these, uh, you know, these, these... uh Internet of thing devices now, as they're called, you know, that turn on your lights from your phone and turn on your heating, that kind of thing. I I was making these kind of things with little Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, that kind of thing. Um, But obviously, to be a product, they needed some sort of housing, you know, some sort of, you know, something to put in to make it into a real thing. Um, So, you know, you jump on YouTube and I'm looking at people, you know, vacuum forming plastics and making these intricate boxes and so on. Um, and you go, you know what it's like. You go down that YouTube rabbit hole, you know, where you know six hours later you're still looking at people making these crazy things. Yeah. And I I came across a video. I th- I I can't remember now, but I think it was probably a Walter Sorrells video, um, making a knife. So I was, huh. I was like, hey, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna try making a knife. Um, made a knife, and that was it. Had the bug, the sickness. You know.
1: Well, so. So you, but you never really, you didn't, you didn't have any experience with metalworking in general before you did
2: None at all. So, you know, in school we did, you know, we did, we made a bottle opener, that kind of thing, you know, but that was, that was, you know, 25 years before this, you know. Right. Yeah. So it it was quite a strange thing. So, you know, I was still running a design business, you know, and a co-working studio and an events business and, you know, publishing business. And, you know, I was making knives too on the side was, you know, just for family and friends at that point. Right. Um, but eventually you know i knew things had to change i was you know i was working all these hours that you know god gave us um didn't really enjoy it you know i wasn't really making any money health wasn't good stress levels were off the charts and you know and my wife who was my business partner partner um she's, she's the smartest person i know and you know okay. and this, I, I knew this was just holding her back the you know this these businesses they weren't my dream and they, they certainly weren't hers so we, we decided to change everything. We shut the businesses down. We sold virtually all of our possessions. <laughs> we, Whoa. we jumped in a car and we drove to France. And we decided to spend two weeks just looking for a house. And then we were going to start our new dream. So for my wife, which was to start her new business, which is sort of adult education, that kind of thing. And for me, just to be making knives. So that was just over two and a half years ago. And we, we haven't looked back since. Wow! So you just you sold everything and you drove to France. We did. What possessed you to go to France? Well, you know, it, better climate than the UK. Um, oh. Not too far, <laughs> so we could still get get yeah. back and see family and friends. Um, but you know, cheap to live. Um, the sun always shines. It was you know, it made sense for us. And um, wow. people thought we were crazy, you know. We had these businesses, and I think you're crazy. <laughs> but everybody thought we were doing really well. But you know, we we weren't. We were just working all the hours, and you know, it was just stressful. It wasn't good, and you know, we weren't doing what we loved doing. So yeah, we just hopped in a car and started a new life. <laughs> wow. So, he, so just to just jump back just a little bit,
1: and, and then, um, so you watched the Walter Sorrels video. Maybe you watched a couple of other. Um, you know, YouTube videos. Yeah. And then you just called up and bought some
2: steel and how did you heat treat how you know, how did you do it all? You had minimal tools. Yeah, well, very minimal. So I bought one of those, you know, those one by thirty little bandsaws, you know, these yeah. oh, bandsaws, sorry, um grinders. Right. Um terrible things, but you know, they, they yeah. did the job. Um I got a little devil forge, a little gas devil forge, which is, you know, only sort of six inches deep. It's a tiny thing. Right. Um and, you know, these first knives, they were well, they were terrible, as you'd imagine. They're supposed to be terrible. Yeah, yeah. The first ones are supposed to be terrible. Well, it's not just the first one. I'd say for the first year, everyone was terrible. The first thirty
1: have to be garbage. Yeah, and and that's the only
2: way you can't you can't really you, you know you can't really learn
1: unless you actually kind of say, all right, next time I I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So that's that's how you get to that point. So that's that's quite an investment from one Walter Sorrells video.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but it was that thing you just said about that first one, you know, it is terrible, the next thirty are terrible. But you know, I'd probably spend a year and I'd probably make a knife every day for that time. And every wow. every time I made a knife, it was like, oh man, I just want to sort of recall all those old ones, you know? Right. And you know, when right. when I when I was making stuff with code, I could do that. I could just, you know, update all the code, everybody's got right. the newest version. Um and it was just so frustrating that, you know, everyone was getting so much better, which is great. But then you've got these knives out there that you're just not happy with. So, but those are also milestones in your life. They you know, are. When you're, when yeah. you're,
1: and, and I think that it's very important to see growth in regards to whatever you're doing. So, you know, you, if you're ever really, truly satisfied with anything that you do, you're, you're probably not really seeing what's really going on. So when I understand what you're saying because, I, I mean, I look at knives that I made and I say the same thing. I'm like, eh, the next one's going to be better. Hmm. But you can't really go back. you yeah. got to, like, just look forward and know that the next one's going to be better. But other than that, I'm, I'm riveted by your story. So now you're in France. <laughs> yep. And now you're in France and now you're, you're, you bought a house. You and your, your wife's teaching adult education and then you're building up your
2: shop yeah still building the shop still building it's it's still ongoing on <laughs> but I, I did that thing that a lot of people do where you make it maybe your first sort of 30 50 knives and you think right i'm an acceptable standard now you know so i get a website up and i start selling to the public um and two months later you know i'm discovering all these great knife makers on instagram and facebook and so on yeah and you just think man i'm just uh, you know they're in a different league so what I did, so when I, I just mentioned, you know, you wish you could call them all back, you know. Um, so I stopped. I took the website down. Um, this was probably about 18 months ago. I took the website down for four months and I literally just spent every working hour in the, in the workshop, just just nailing these knives, just, you know, knife after knife after knife. Um, right. And, you know, I, I wasn't selling these. It was a very conscious decision that, you know, I've got a draw back in the workshop with Probably about 150 knives in there, you know, um but each one was getting better and better and better, and it was only to that point where you know th- th- those gains started reducing. So you know, I was happy with with every knife. You know, I s- yeah. sort of come to a happy medium, and that's when you know made a new website, start putting them up, and started selling knives again. um But I see that a lot. I see a lot of people making knives, and you know, they they make you know three, four knives. The next you know, they're selling their knives, and you just think, wow. I made that mistake too, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that's very funny that you say that because I actually was wanted to, this is something I really wanted to talk about, was, you know, in regards to, you know, when you're first starting out, when people first starting out making knives and different experiences and different things that you, you know, your experiences are different than other people's experiences. And Hmm. um, my experience is, you know, I started out as a sculptor and then I ended up working for for a blacksmithing company. And I was actually, my into, I wasn't making knives until, you know, 10, 10, 15 years since I started blacksmithing. Mm. You know, I didn't even pick, touch a knife until I was forging railings and uh, AI tools and stuff like that. But I, I'd never made a knife until I'd never forged a knife until years and years later. Huh. And it's interesting because my experience is different than your experience, which is different than a lot of your listeners experience. And I don't think that, I think that all these different experiences are good and being able to watch YouTube videos are good and to be able to learn and just say to yourself, you got to do whatever it takes. Some some people don't have access to certain equipment. Some people don't have access to uh, certain techniques. And YouTube has become a resource that allows people to say, hey, you know what? I can make this and maybe if somebody wants it, that's great. Hmm. I think that um, it's really important and I also – back to what you were saying in regards to um, – in regards to uh, you, you know, you saw you saw these knife makers that made you think that your knives didn't look good. There's there are levels to this game, and as a knife maker or whatever, there really needs to be this you know appreciation of growth and figuring out. I got to do whatever it takes. Hmm. You know, I live in yeah. an apartment. I can't have an anvil. You know, or or I can't. You know, I want to make Damascus, but I don't have a power hammer. You know, it, there's. There's levels to this game, and I think that it's very important to just kind of celebrate that growth and be, 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 uh, supportive of you know people trying to do this
2: kind of stuff yeah oh, no, completely and I, and I have to say if it, if it wasn't for for youtube and seeing that first as I, i'm pretty sure it was a walter sorrells video yeah. that you know i would never have made that first knife you know sure and you no, know it's I, exciting completely it's a new world you know and yeah you're, you're excited and you know you, you just you just want to be making knives all the time and you have this big sort of equipment list of stuff that you think you desperately need and it's, it's yeah it's this whole new world opened up yeah, it's incredible. So, so, so now, what's your next step? Next step. Wow. Wow. Okay. Personally, I've been finding it very hard to live in, you know, a very remote area of France. Um, not in a city anymore. Um, so it's very hard to sort of sell what I make. So Sorry. quite often I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll take a flight or whatever to to a big city and I'll go around and I'll meet restaurants and I'll meet chefs. And, you know, we get commissions that way and I start making knives, that kind of thing, uh, which is great. Um, you know, and I've been really fortunate enough to speak with, you know, lots of amazing knife makers on the show. And I often ask that very same question, like, how do you scale things up? You know, so running a business and chasing the dream of making knives every day. They, they're very different things, I think. Um, and i 've been giving this loads of thought over the last year or so. So I want to make a product. I want chop knives to be a product business you know so something yeah. that can be packaged up and maybe even sold in a store, but a product that's that 's handmade but still affordable. so something that 's going to be the same each time, um, not not exactly the same obviously because you 'd be using slightly different materials for handles and so on. but right. the blade is you know the blade's going to be the same each time so i 'm going to start with it with a steak knife. You know, in my mind, what I think is the perfect steak knife. So for the past six months, I've been working on dozens of prototypes, which I've been, you know, making and taking to various restaurants to speak with the proprietors and chefs and so on for their opinion. Now, I, I want to make a knife that, you know, it's close to as perfect as you can get. And, you know, I think I've got there. So I've, I've got a design which is beautiful to look at. It's razor sharp. You know, it cuts cuts like butter. It, it, it It's lovely. But as we all know, a handmade knife takes a lot of time Um, and this can make them, you know, too pricey for most people. So that's the challenge, you know, making something that's handmade, beautiful, does its job perfectly, um, but still affordable to most people. Right. So I've been visiting factories over Europe for the last few weeks um, to talk to them about my plans and, you know, take as many tips as I can from them of, of, of how they set up their sort of production lines. So I think I've got a solution. I'm going to produce these knives um by cutting by well, first of all buying steel in bulk straight from Sandvik. Um so I use a 14C28N um stainless. Um really? I get the steel cut to profile with with water jets. Um and I know a lot of people may think, "Ah, oh, well you're not making a knife." But you know, this is a blank. This is, you know, it has no bevels. It's literally just cut to shape. And that's the bit for me that takes the most amount of time, you know? Um, to get things precise every time, that takes a lot, a lot of time. Not right. too much skill, strangely. It's just time. Um, yeah, it's time. Yeah. So, so, so I cut down that time to manufacture massively, you know. So I still hand grind the bevels. I still stabilize my own wood. still make my own mosaic pens. You know, I do all the heat treating in-house. But all of those actions can be done sort of in bulk, really, you know. Right. So it's, I've even remodeled my, my studio to accommodate for so a factory-like production line. So each knife is going to get the attention it needs, you know, for the final fit-up. Um, and I think this is the kind of thing that a big factory can't really do because, you know, maybe they're using robots or whatever they're using, but I'm using natural materials, particularly for handles and so on. You know, and they're never uniform. So, you know, by doing this by hand, I can make sure that every single knife then is, you know, it's perfect, it feels good in the hand, and, and it's, you know, it's sharp as a razor. They're all right. hand-sharpened too. So today I've launched an, an Indiegogo campaign where people can order a knife or a set of steak knives, and that's going to really sort of kickstart the production. Wow! So that, yeah, that's, that's what I've been so working they're on. So are pre-ordering. People will be pre-ordering your knives. Well, I'm ready to go. So the last six months, this is what I've been doing. So I've been taking very wow. few sort of customer orders. Um, the workshop has been completely remodeled. So I can just work on batches after batches after batches. Um, so in essence, yeah, I suppose it's pre-ordering. Um, that's it? That's it. That's it. Oh, my so, God. It's unbelievable. We mentioned scaling things up, right? So, you know, right. as you you know, a handmade knife, you know, even if it has been profiled by a water jet, it still takes a lot, a lot of time. Yeah, you know, Particularly sure. if you're aiming for the, you know, the kind of quality which I'm aiming for. Um, so I think I can produce maybe a dozen to 15 knives on my own per week. You know, which is fine. That's fair. That's it, fair. But it's not, you know, it's not a production line, you know? Right. But my little tiny village here in France, it's got one of the oldest forges in Europe. But um, sadly, oh. it's, it's no longer a, a forge, it's a museum. You know, still has a forge, it's set up as a forge, but it's now just a museum. But what it does mean is that I'm surrounded by lots of fourth or fifth generation knife makers, you know? Right. And they've all now turned their hand to farming. They're struggling, you know. You know the demands of you know mass production in the farming world. It's very hard on a small hmm. small farm. So if I need to produce more than a dozen or fifteen knives per week, which I'm hoping is the case, um, you know, I've got skilled knife makers on tap. You know, and who knows? Maybe I can get you know my little town making knives again. You know that this would be something is, this worth is like working. Some for. sort
1: of movie. This is like a movie. This is like <laughs> one of those Irish movies where you bring the you bring the factory back.
2: And... But it's happened in lots of villages around France. You know, and the, Has Fre- it? the French got a rich history. So you know, Laguiole knives. That's a very small village in France. You know, tiers. You know, very similar there. Openel. Huh. Openel isn't the village, but the actual village. You know, it's all the local people making knives there. So wow. it's, it's happened before in France, and. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I've got big ideas. <laughs> so that's incredible.
1: I, I I love the whole story, and I love the idea of of um, what you're doing. And I and I I wonder. I'm just asking, just curious, but just because I don't know, I know a little bit about Kickstarter, and I know about so for the Indiegogo. Do you have a set goal that you need to make in order for this to happen,
2: or it's slightly different with Indiegogo to Kickstarter? So. With Kickstarter, you say, let's say I need ten grand for this to happen. Right. If you don't get back in up to ten grand, it doesn't happen. Simply, right. you, you don't get any money, and nobody gets any of the any the rewards, you know. Uh, but with Indiegogo, it's slightly different. So let's say I say, well, actually, it's seven and a half grand. That's what I'm saying in euros that I need to, for this to happen. But if it doesn't happen, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. But if this doesn't happen, people will still get those rewards because then I can just simply hand grind them anyway you know right right, um, right
1: right right okay great because right, right, it doesn't... so if you're if you're if you're putting in for
2: for some steak knives you're getting them yeah and the thing okay. is if it doesn't happen that's because it hasn't i haven't got to the volume that i require so right. if, if it's not getting to that volume where i need to produce these in that way i can just produce them how i've normally made knives anyway so it's right. a win win you know it 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 just works either way wow i like this idea i like this idea very much you know my
1: business model is similar in the sense that we do a lot of pre ordering so i don't mm-hmm. use IndieGoGo, but like when we do chef series knives, if I do a series of twelve, we pre-sell them before I make them. Yeah, and and usually I'll start making them once we've sold four. Like if we if we can sell four of them, then I'll start to make them, and then you know that'll make my life a lot easier because then no one's kind of dumping money down um, it, exactly to, to get these rolling, and then they're guaranteed for the thing. Well, I, I'm listen. It, I think it's great, and I and I heard a little something in your voice when you when you were talking about the handmade thing, and 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 it's it's there are, like I was saying before there are levels to this game, yeah. And sometimes you have to do whatever it takes. And I once had an old knife maker come into my shop, and and I was grinding a bevel, um, and I had a I had the ta- I had the table on the platen on the grinder, and I actually uh, had clamped my knife to uh, a very square. Two by four, and then I was using that two by four as my guide, just to keep myself at the same uh, my, the same level when I was grinding. Mm, and yeah. the first thing the guy said is, "All oh, you're cheating," and I was like, "What are you <laughs> talking about?" He's like, "Ah, oh, you should be doing a freehand." And I was just like, "You need to, you need to leave. This is, you know, you have to do whatever it takes. Efficiency and doing, taking some little steps out of this proj- process allows you to." Allows you to kind of focus on the things that really matter, and part of that mattering is being able to provide something for people at a reasonable price, and to have your you know your sincerity involved.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I asked that question on on Instagram. I did yeah. sort of an Instagram story, I, I you know, it. when is a knife handmade? And I said, if it's been profiled on a water jet, is it still handmade? Um, and it was amazing, actually. So I'd say probably ninety five percent said yes. Um, but yes, those- it is.
1: Yes, it is handmade.
2: Yeah, yeah. But those who didn't, they were sending me a message as to say why they think it isn't. Um, and they were all very, very sort of valid reasons. But, you know, how far do you go to handmade? You know, are you sort of smelting your own steels? You, you know, well, where, where does that go, you know? Well, that's the next
1: thing because, you know, uh, it's, that's interesting that you say that too because uh, recently I was uh, I was making some integral knives. I was forging some integral knives. Hmm. And I posted a picture of, the, of me forging the integral knives, and somebody had responded with, "It's great to see somebody actually forging their knives like they used to, because and I'm and I'm paraphrasing; I don't really remember exactly, but, but um, uh, because now people just grind knives out of you know they just take a piece of steel and they grind knives out of it. Yeah. And what I had said, and that's an old that's an old you know that's actually the elephant in the room in regards to a lot of knife makers and bladesmiths and whether you're calling yourself a knife maker or a bladesmith, hmm. is this concept of, of um, stock removal versus, versus forging. And a lot of people, this guy had basically said, yeah, forge knives are where it's at. And, and I said to him very, you know, with peace and love, you know, there's nothing wrong with stock removal knives. Some of the best knife makers in the world make stock removal knives. And I'm not going to name them out, but you'd be shocked. And yeah. there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. So you get to the point where you're asking, what's the what's the what's the difference? What's the gain in regards to being able to provide something for a customer that's of a high quality steel? You know, Bob Kramer gets a triple beam balance to make his steel, and he 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 uses powder, and he 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 you know he, as you were saying, he smelts it down in an induction furnace. Hmm. You know you you there are certain levels that you can't you just can't do and if you're, able to, if you're able to do stock removal because you, what you're trying to provide is something affordable, if you're trying to do stock removal because you feel like you will get a better product, like say with stainless steel, sometimes it's you're going to get it for – if you have to make a nine-inch chef knife with a two-inch heel, you really got to work like a dog hmm. to, to, forge, to forge a knife that long, uh, especially if it's stainless steel. It's a whole production too. So where are your gains and where are your losses and how can you be as efficient as possible and provide a product to someone who wants to buy your knife, a friend of yours, a family member, whatever, and not say, I want to buy your knife, but I don't have three grand. You know, it's like it's that's
2: the, the issue. That's the there's levels of consumer. Right. So you've got, you know, Great. you've got the 40 grand Bob Kramer knives. You've got the, you know, a couple of grand. You know, if you, look, I think it's theforge dot com where they take people's knives. You know, very high end knives, and they and they sell them. Um, I think they're based in Dubai. Um, but they're, you know, they're sort of two, three, four grand knives. Um. You know, you've you've got the sort of high end store knives, which may be, you know, sort of three, four hundred dollars or whatever. Right. Um and then you've got, you know, you've got the shit, you've got the you've got the, you know, right. the Chinese press stuff. You right. know? So there's there's levels of consumer. And I think as long as you're being completely honest with the consumer, they know exactly. what's what. Exactly.
1: That's the most important thing. it doesn't really matter what your level is as a blacksmith or a bladesmith or whatever. It's the it's the it's the concept of being you know, genuine and sincere and giving someone, um, you know, your, what you believe in it and you want them to believe in you. Hmm. Yeah,
2: completely. completely.
1: So I, you know, it, it's funny. It's, it's really funny because, you know, I was, um, I, I, I've been really fortunate lately. I've been befriending a lot of awesome bladesmiths and knife makers, and I talked to a lot of them. And recently I was actually at Dragon's Breath Forge. I did see. With, yes, yeah. Uh, it, I was with uh, Matt Parkinson and, and Mareko, um Momasi, and those two motherfuckers are unbelievable. <laughs> but the amazing thing is as soon as I walked in the door, Matt was standing by a forge. He was literally forging a sword. It was a long sword. And we started talking and I'm going to do a project with him and I'm doing a project with Marekko and I'm really excited of illustration drawing. And what we were talking about, I don't remember what we were talking, but we were talking about why he loves to forge. And and, and Matt said, I don't like to grind and this is fun. You know, that's yeah. what that's what a lot of it comes down to, that, that, this concept of, you know, it, it, some people, I've heard people say they love grinding or I have, a, I have friends who say I love to forge and there's different reasons why you do certain things. There's cert- Some people like certain aspects of it. Other, don't. other people don't. And they're trying to, like, give you something um, from their heart, from what they love to do. The, the reason why they love to do what they do is because they do it well and then they're gaining proficiency in it. Mm.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason I'm not forging knives is because, first of all, I don't have the resource. Um, right but most importantly i don't have the skill it's 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 hugely skilled you know so well, you know for me to do that it's investing you know a lot of time um well look,
1: please please i'm with you I, yeah. I, and 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 this is something and i'm sorry for jumping in uh, jumping in on you interrupting but what i try to what i try to tell people is in something i get i get so many emails from friends of mine who say to me uh i see what's going on with the forging i want to make damascus where do i buy an anvil hmm. And the first thing I always say is don't buy anything. And I say go take a class because there's this whole concept of one of the great things about YouTube is there's so many resources. But there also, there also is something that I refer to as, as YouTube confidence. Huh. And basically, when you, you know if you watch somebody grind a bevel on YouTube and you get a grinder and you get a couple pieces of steel, you can kind of figure it out. There's, there's not a whole lot to it. But what forging is, forging anything, doesn't really matter if it's a knife or, or anything, is it's the, the, the finesse and the confidence and also the manipulation of material in a specific way, in a specific set. So you have certain steps that you have to do, and some of those things are not very um, easy to just explain. So you actually have to physically do them, and you have to have a mindset of, I have to get from A to Z, but I need to go through the entire alphabet to get there. And if you skip F and B, your whole thing is a disaster. So it can take years and years and years to understand and get the feeling of how a hammer should feel when you hit a piece of material, how hot a piece of steel needs to be to get in that plastic stage where you can actually move it like plastic. And it's one of those things that a lot of people watch videos or they see things and they say, "I'm going to," or knife makers will say. I'm going to make Damascus. Hmm. So they think, all right, well, I'm going to forge. All I have to do is learn how to forge weld this Damascus. Let me go buy an anvil. I'll buy a hammer. And then all of a sudden you don't realize, well, that's your forge might not be able to get your Damascus at forge welding temperature. Hmm. And then how in the God's name are you going to set the weld of a six inch billet that you can't possibly forge down to what you think you're going to do? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've spent all this money and now you're saying, why is this rock hammer not forging this material the way I want? And then you got, <laughs> and then someone's like, well, because asshole, that's a fucking rock hammer. You're supposed to use a <laughs> forging hammer. And what's the difference between peens and what's the difference between a rounding hammer? There's so much information involved and yeah. a lot of knife makers. And this is a very interesting thing because – I love Nick Rossi from um, New England School of Metal. Ooh,
2: he, the, the Nick Wheeler alarm nearly went off. Then I thought we were going to have no, no, the Nick no, no. Wheeler. Don't, word. Worry,
1: don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> just turn the alarm off now, and then I'll, I'll get to. The, I'll get to. I'll get to the. I'll hit the alarm a few more times. <laughs> so Nick Rossi gives a lot of information out. He does a lot of videos. He does incredible amount of teaching of how to forge knives. He forges all sorts of folding knives. He forges chef knives, hunting knives. He's Incredible, incredible teacher. And the one person I really want to get class from bad is Nick Ross. Mm -hmm. So he has a video out there where he's forging out an integral knife. And I'm watching it and I'm watching it and I'm watching it and I've forged before. And I think to myself, okay, great. I'm going to get myself a piece of one inch, 1084, and I'm going to hand hammer it the way he does. That is a long day in the office, my buddy, because you can't do it. It's it's very similar to when you watch a marathon and you say to yourself, if you've never run before, I'm gonna get a pair of sneakers and I'm gonna run the next marathon I can get myself into. And then all of a sudden you get your sneakers on, and then you're going out for a run, and after a mile, you're like, How am I gonna make it to 24 miles? It's impossible. <laughs> you know, there there are also with with YouTube confidences, there's this you need to manage your expectations. And the best thing I can tell people, and I tell, I tell great bladesmiths, I, t- I mean, I tell great knife makers who make beautiful knives, don't buy anything. Go take a class. And the funny thing is, is a lot of uh, blacksmithing schools like the Center for Metal Arts – like New England School of Metalwork, they teach introductory classes, and a lot of people are like, well, "I don't want to take an introductory class. I want to make knives."
2: The reason <laughs> I've seen why, videos, I know how it's done. I'm, yeah, I'll skip that. Yeah, step. yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like it's like it's like unbelievable, and 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 I'm also of the mind of the. Well, I mean, in my experience, I don't really want to take an introductory class either. But the problem is, is forging isn't just making a point and forging out a bevel. Hmm. You're manipulating mass. You're figuring out exact dimensions because you're holding your metal towards it at an anvil, at a specific angle. You're taking your anvil and you're using different corners, different parts. It's a production. And if you don't understand the basics of it, there's no way you're going to start making integral knives. That's it. Period.
2: I think what you said, YouTube confidence is another one. So, you know, I fell for that. I saw a video that I can do that. What you don't see, I mean, let's take, for example, Alex Steele. So... Incredible, right. well, what he does is incredible. So he's right. just done a series on making a rapier. And I yeah. think it was like 15 videos, and each one was maybe 15 minutes each, you know? Right. And this guy works, this guy works 14 hours a day, yeah. virt- I think every day of the week, you know, and he's editing this down to 15 minutes. And you think right? I can see what he's done. He's got that tool. He's done that. He's got that tool. Right. He's done that. What you don't see is that sort of 15,000 hours experience that he's had. You know, you can that's get the right. tools, but you need the experience that, to know what you're doing with those things. And I did it the wrong way. I bought the tools. I, you know, all the gear, no idea. And it, you know, and I had to make those mistakes to learn that lesson.
1: So well, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, but that's the thing. You gotta, you know, you can't. You can't just expect it to come easy. But it, you can do it. You can buy an anvil. You can buy an anvil and then you can hit it once and then your neighbors are like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, the, I have a joke with my buddy, uh, Sunset Forge, New Jersey. Sunset Forge NJ. That's John Arian. Mm-hmm. He makes the best press. He and Cliff Duffton make the best hydraulic presses in the world. Go see their presses. Mm-hmm. We refer to some anvils. He has, I have a Fisher anvil. It was my first anvil. And then I have a Hey Budden anvil that I got from Jesse Savage. The, the Fisher has a very light, it's a very muffled sound. And the Hey Budden, which is a Hey Budden, sorry, I don't, whatever the pronunciation is, they, it has a very ringing sound. So the joke is there's a city anvil, which is the, the quieter one, and there's a the country anvil, which has the louder ring. So, you know, there, there are times where if you have a garage and you have close neighbors, and you hit that anvil, they're coming out on the fifth hit, hmm. I'm telling you it's so loud,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know I was watching so i've been watching a lot of videos on um you know, water pressure jets, that kind of thing right. you know, to cut things out. Sure. And there's there's these guys I can't think I'm I'm trying to look them up now, I can't find them. Um but they basically they they've got this water jet and they just cut things in half. It can be anything. Right. You know? Yeah. And they do yeah. these crazy science videos. Yeah. Um but they do one with an anvil and they get this cheap Chinese anvil and they cut it in half. And it man, it's just it's I think it was cast iron and it's just full of voids this hole wasn't that big enough for tennis ball. You know, it was crazy to see.
1: Well, that's, that's another story um, in regards to anvils. And I actually, before I talked to you, I, um, I sent a message to my friend, Jesse Savage, who is the premier anvil enthusiast in the Northeast of the United States. No question. Nobody knows more about anvils than Jesse Savage. Great guy. Awesome blacksmith. He just taught a class down at the CMA uh, bottle opener class. And I asked him because I knew I was going to get on this conversation with you. I said, were people who want to buy anvils, and I get a lot of questions about where, what kind of anvil should I buy? Where should I buy it? I wanted to know what the best resource is for people in buying anvils. And what he said, was, which I kind of thought was correct, was you need to have a feeling and understanding of what you're trying to get. You have to have a knowledge of the kind of anvil you want. And then you have to just scour eBay and okay. Craigslist. That's what he does because he buys anvils and he sells anvils and don't. Ask him to sell you an anvil because he'll you know have a, like some sort of stroke or panic attack over in Rutland, Rutland, Vermont. But he actually bought an anvil from him. He's, he's very. This is a big secret. I just gave up, but it, it's fine. <laughs> so so a lot of anvils are made differently. A lot of anvils are forged, welded together. There's there so there will be like a a piece of tool steel will be the first half inch of the face of the knife of the anvil, and then the rest might be you know it's a softer steel. That's part of blacksmithing too is, is the economy and materials. That's the reason why you don't see – with Damascus knives, you don't see a whole lot of knife makers making full-tang Damascus knives mm. because the material is so hard to make and it's so expensive to make. Why would you just put five inches of your Damascus inside of a handle where you could just forge it into a stick tang or hidden tang – and then you're only losing like maybe two inches of the material. So yeah, yeah. the anvils are the same way. So a lot of times you won't know what an anvil is. You can get an idea when you hit it or you can get an idea based on the rebound. That means, you know, how the hammer comes off the anvil. But a lot of times you, you go to Harbor Freight or you go to all these guys who sell these cheap. If you see a cheap anvil, you're either, you either can get, get someone who has no idea what it is and it might be you might get lucky or you're getting garbage. So you got to be very, 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 very understanding of what you're looking for. Because like I said, the best way to get involved with bladesmithing or blacksmithing is to take a class because you, all of a sudden you have instructors who are watching you hit. Like I've forged with guys who don't have a whole lot of experience. And I've seen them swing their hammer, and all of a sudden in my mind, all I can think of is that dude is going to be so sore tomorrow. He's not going to lift his arm up. Hmm. It's just the the positioning, how you stand, how you should stand, uh, what position you should be in, what's the most ergonomic way to forge. How can you do this so you can do this for days on end? Days on end, weeks on end, months on end.
2: And it's taking advantage of their experience, isn't it? You know, They've got the experience, so take it from them.
1: It's like if you go to a gym and you just start lifting weights like a mental patient without having any information. If you get hmm. the goddamn trainer right off the bat, he's going to tell you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. Uh, when I was working at – at, uh, I was at the Center for Mental Arts before Pat Quinn took it over and turned it into just like a – I mean he just turned well, – what he did at the Center for Mental Arts is unbelievable. When I was there, we were doing mostly railings. I was working under John Letford and we were doing more uh, structural work. Uh, ornamental ironwork. then we were doing classes. So we were like, it was fine architectural metal smiths was doing a lot of the, whatever. So it got to the point, especially in the summer where you really had to treat yourself like an athlete as in you got to get enough sleep. If you come in hungover, they're going to fuck you up because they're going to make you forge all day and then you're going to throw up or you have to be able to eat correctly. You have to be able to be hydrated. You have to really, because the intensity of the heat and also you can't do a marathon and sprint the whole time. You got to pace yourself. And if you have to forge for weeks on, and there were, there were railings, and we'd, I'd have to forge 1,000, 2,000 pickets. It takes a long time, and you have to get in a rhythm, and you have to get a pattern. You have to say to yourself, okay, I need to be able to make this amount of forging for this long. And then all of a sudden, if your arm starts to hurt, what are you going to do? You're going to go to your boss, and you're going to say, I got to take the day off because my arm hurts? No, you have to, you have to figure out a way to make sure that you're, you're, you, as a cog in the machine, can keep the machine rolling. And as a knife maker, as a blacksmith, as a bladesmith, it's the same thing. So well, you have to take these things. It's like that whole mar- marathon thing. Don't buy the sneakers. Don't buy the sneakers. <laughs> take your sneakers you have and go for a walk. And then all of a sudden, and then all right, let's, let's do a mile. All right, let's do a two miles. Let's do three miles. Don't buy the sneakers and try to fucking run 20 miles. It's impossible. You can't do it. Same thing with blacksmithing. Don't buy the anvil. Just go take some classes. Trust me you're gonna save money and time and energy and it might not be for you. Hmm. you might spend you know a good 200 pound anvil can I mean the prices are, are, are changed all the time and in the United States um, you know these sons of bitches at uh, the antique stores realize what they have, but they have no concept of what the face should look like if a face is too chippy. If the corners are too rounded, if it's got too much sway in the face, if the horn's broken off, you they don't realize. They just see money. Mm, so yeah. you you have to understand that – you have to kind of understand what's correct, what's not correct because you're going to get ripped off. And if you get one of these Harbor Freight cast iron anvils, you're you are doing yourself a disservice. And all of a sudden, you're going to hate working. You're going to hate – you're going to say, oh, God, I spent – Thousand dollars and all this equipment, and now I don't even want to do it.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. It's like people, you know, learning guitar. They go out and buy the cheapest guitar right. they can get, and it rips their fingers to shreds. You know, right? And well, it's like, yeah, get I a half decent guitar, and you'll, you you know, you'll be able to live with it. Yeah,
1: right. But with a guitar, you can't make knives.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: you can, you can, you can play with your friends, but you can't, and you don't, you don't get dirty. with a guitar.
2: I true. Don't know. Very true. But uh, I, 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 bet, just I, think I bet somebody has made Damascus out of guitar strings.
1: <laughs> Most likely I mean they do have a chainsaw belt, yes, yeah. motorcycle belts and well that's another thing you know Damascus is and just getting back to kind of stock removal versus bladesmiths I know really great great bladesmiths who who make Damascus billets they have a power hammer or they have a press or maybe they'll have a friend who has a power hammer to press and they'll maybe rent space for a week and they'll just make Damascus all week or and then they'll make the billets the length of the length and the width of their knives and then they'll stock removal of the knives hmm. I went yeah. to I took a class with Aaron Wilburn at air at Wilburn Forge uh, of, of Wilburn Forge and it was at the Center for metal arts and he was awesome I love that guy that guy's he's on my he's on my uh, my, my Ra- Mount Rushmore my, my Mount Rushmore is getting bigger and bigger <laughs> so so he when I when we made billets um what I was amazed at is I just do whatever he said I wasn't really I wasn't like preconceived notions. I just wanted to go with the flow. So we made this billet. It was a long billet. And then he wanted us to twist them. So we twisted them and turned the billet into a twist bar. Then we forged down the twist bar back into a billet. And we made a crushed W theory Damascus. So I think to myself, okay, great. I'm going to now I'm going to be able to, you know, take this home. The material is like three eighths thick. It's about uh, two inches I'll be able to make some chef knives. And he said, Well, don't forget, you're gonna to have to cut away a lot of material because where the twists were, the twists didn't forge well. So you have about a, a fourth, a quarter of an inch on each side that you're gonna to have to knock off. So now all of a sudden you have an inch and a half piece of bar. Right. And I said, Well, okay, well, I'll take a pair of that and then I can just forge it down. He goes, Oh no, 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 don't do that because you're gonna ruin the you're gonna ruin the pattern. Hmm. What you should do is you should anneal the whole thing and then stock removal of the knife. And that's what I did. And that isn't cheating. You know, we, can, yeah, we can't completely. be Nick yeah. Anger. We all can't be Nick Anger who makes these incredible knives of just, you know, that that the whole pattern flows out of the blade. Sometimes you have to do whatever it takes to kind of like get to the point where you want to without people saying,
2: you know, oh, using a power hammer, that's cheating. Are you insane? <laughs> totally insane. And you've got to look at the performance of the knife too, you know? I, yeah, I, You know, nobody's really going to know the difference when they're using the knife, whether it's whether it's forged or whether it's stock removal. That's right. If it cuts, if it's got you know a good geometry and and, and it's sharp, that's 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 what you're looking for. That's that's well, there's a lot that goes into it, as you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I recently had a guy email me, and he said to me, "Are your knives fully forged?" (laughs) And I was like. It was no, like, just the handles. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was like, it was this question and, and a lot of it, and, and I'm sure that custom knife makers get this a lot. You know, people are trying to, I, It's customers are very important. Yeah. And one thing is, is you have to let them relate to you, but you have to also speak plainly with them. Don't, you know, there's no, nece- it's not necessary for for anybody to have to use big words. I, I'm i a broad strokes guy. I say that all the time. I I give you. The broad strokes, and I want to speak plainly because I'm a very simple person. Believe it or not, it's, it's I, I'm, a, I'm a dull, I'm a moron. I'm 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 not I'm not I'm I'm just human garbage. So you're you doing you this ha- thing
2: where you want me to big you up now. Is is that is that no, what I don't this don't is want you about?
1: I, I, I trust <laughs> me. You you my, you know how you say that you're you're your worst critic. Yeah, I'm just I, I'm perfectly happy in my uh, my garbagey medi- mediocrity. <laughs> so so uh, I don't know what i was getting at. So yeah. So you, the, the bottom line is is you speak plainly with your customers. You speak plainly in regards to your work. There's no need to be um, anything other than a person. You know, you don't need to use big words all the time and just fully forged. You don't even use the right words. It's like yeah. when people talk to you about when they're cutting their food and they refer to their food as their. When I cut my proteins, who <laughs> talk to a chef like about the proteins? I dare you! I dare you to go. This is what happens. My partner is a, is a chef, and people talk to him about when I cut my proteins, and he wants to just you know he wants to you know uh, he wants to do something, but it's, yeah. you don't speak plainly. Yeah, fully without a don't a fully death. forged. <laughs> so this is awesome. I'm very happy for you. Um, how can how can people kind of get involved with your uh, your Indiegogo thing? And how can people support you? And just real quick, what you do is very – and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. What you do is very important. There's a lot of people who listen to you. You give free content. And I think that as, as a listener, I want to support you as best I can. And I'm sure that most of the people listening to this want to support you as best we can. What's the best way?
2: Okay, okay. So head to chopknives.com. The campaign is live so there's links straight on the homepage, straight to the campaign from there. You know, I appreciate, you know, these knives may not be for everybody, you know. You know a lot of, a lot of- well, most of the listeners here are knife makers, you know, so you know right. maybe they want to buy another person's knives. I don't know. But, you know, but if you do want to support me and, you know, and the show, there are other ways to help, too. So maybe by by sharing the campaign on your social media accounts or just telling your friends about the campaign or maybe, you know, somebody in the media who could help me get the stories to a sort of wider audience. Oh. You know, but you know, any help is appreciated. Well, how sharp are these knives? They're very sharp <laughs> knives. Do you know why they're sharp? Well, to
1: get your knives razor sharp and to get repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormac. To find more, go to Tormac.com. Tormac.
2: Keep your perfect. shit
1: sharp. Perfect. Not perfect anymore. I, I didn't – I fucked <laughs> it up already.
2: But, uh, You know, yeah. I bought my second Tormac, and the first one didn't break. I just loved it so much that so I then upgraded to the sort of the bigger, bulk, you know, beefier version. Oh, um, is that the T8? The T8 I've got now, yeah. yeah. And I've got—I've also got the Japanese waterstones as well. It's, it's like the extra attachment. And man, these these things are just amazing. amazing. I'm gonna
1: go see those. I got—I have the T8, and I actually used it to sharpen. So I, I sharpened a, a police officer's kitchen knives. And I used it and I was I was pretty amazed at how well it worked. It's awesome. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, I do have to see Stig. I got I go see Stig when I go down to the Blade Show and uh I I want to talk about those Japanese waterstones. We got to we got to get involved with those.
2: Yeah. And I, the thing for me is it's, it's that whole sort of repeatable thing, you know? Particularly now, you know, wanted to set up almost a production line, just being able to, you know, have it exactly the same bevel every time. You get the um, jigs. You get the jigs and they they work perfectly. And they're they're built, you know, they're built like rockets. These are these are rock solid things. Rock solid. Rock
1: solid. So, you got your you got we got we did the live read for Even Heat. We did the live read for Tormek i didn't i didn't do so bad i no? that's all I wanted was to do the i wanted to do a i wanted to do a live read for my buddy uh my buddy uh uh, uh john arian and and Cliff Dufton for their presses but they haven't figured out a name for their company and I, and i was going to make one up but i can't do it to them but if you are going to if you are now i'm going to do my own live read for cliff dufton c j dufton and and sunset forge n j if you're going to buy a press. Get one from them. It's the best. Lovely, terrible, lovely. Terrible.
2: You should you should work on radio. Work on radio. You've got the I'm face for radio. Bro- I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a
1: huge broadcasting fan. I, I love I love radio. I yeah,
2: love radio.
1: And and so I think we asked answered. Is there anything else? Uh, um, I didn't. You know, I, I had some questions from some listeners, and I don't know, some of them were. <laughs> you know, they wanted to know why. You, one one guy wanted to know uh, well, how your how the Paris Marathon went.
2: It's not yet. It's oh, it in. Yet. It's in April, April the seventh. Um, so yeah, I'm that guy. You know, buy a pair of trainers. Say, I'm gonna run a marathon. I'm that guy. Have so you been I, training? I've been training. So I did this two years ago. I bought the I bought the trainers. Right, I'm gonna right. do this year's marathon. Signed up. Managed to get a place. Um, didn't train hard enough. So didn't even attend. That's um, fair. Yeah, but I've, I've you know I the last 18 months I've been training hard and yeah the marathon's coming so I'm ready I did the New York City
1: Marathon I I was uh, I used to be I used to love long distance running I really enjoyed the kind of uh, the meditation involved and I was doing a lot of half marathons with my wife and we would do a lot of half marathons and and as a a native New Yorker I really wanted to do the New York City Marathon Hmm. it's a lot it's a big time commitment it's a big time commitment I I trained and I got through it and it was brutal but it was you know the best experience I ever had now As I ask everyone on Knife Talk Podcast, who are your
2: influences? Oh, man, man. They change. You know, they change over time. So, as I said, that first video, I'm pretty sure it was a Walter Soros video. And then, you know, it's that whole rabbit hole. You then go back and look at all his other work and all the other videos. So, that was a massive influence. Without without those videos, I wouldn't have, you know, been making knives. Um, mm-hmm. But I've, you know, I'm very fortunate, so I've had a chance to, you know, to speak to the people who, you know, who influence me on, on the show. So yeah, you know, you've had some pretty badass people on your show. Yeah. So I mean, like Aaron Goff, you know, I mean, what he's doing production wise now is just incredible, you know. And you know, Toma from Florentine Knives, you know, yeah. he's, he's basically producing, you know, a product. You know, his knives, are, you know, they're, they're beautiful. And it's an amazing product that he's offering. So, yeah, you've got Aaron Goff. You've got, you've got Toma from, from Florentine. Um, yourself, man, yourself. Stop it. <laughs> knock it off. You don't have to say that. You're just saying that. No, that's too that's, that's <laughs> Don't
1: Please, let me, let me alone.
2: No, All right, okay. here's the I'll next stop. question that I
1: always ask. Here's the next question I always ask when I'm interviewing people on Knife Talk. If you had one piece of – if your shop was, was, was light, lit on fire and you had to run in and grab one tool
2: – what would it be? What's the one thing that you can't live without? Probably? Well, you know, a grinder, obviously, you know. Um, mm. But you know who, what, what's, what's deep in my heart? Tell me. <laughs> it's the Even Heat, man. It's the Even Heat. It's the, <laughs> it's the Tormek, it's the Even Heat, and it's my big batch of combat abrasive belts.
1: Let know. me tell you something about Even Heat. <laughs> I wanted to give a shout-out to my boys at Even Heat. Even Heat, those guys really hooked me up. They're awesome. Spence they are awesome. and Quinn and Mike, they got me hooked up with the dongle. You know about the dongle? Oh,
2: I did see. Yeah, I did see Jesus your live videos. Yes. Right.
1: So basically, yes. if you have a tap control, and that is, if you're going to buy an even, you know, we're going to, now that even he better send some stuff right now. After this, <laughs> you better, they better send some stuff. If you, if, if you have the tap control, which you should, if you're gonna buy an oven, you should buy one with a tap control. It's an extra public. If, 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 if you're in the US. If you're in the U.S., If you're in the US. In the UK
2: you can't have a tap one, unfortunately. Yeah, just go
1: over to go over visit go over to the doidoins or wherever you want. You go, <laughs> go, go to Craigle <laughs> with key treat your knife. So but if you're no, in you United, can't,
2: you can't have the you can't have the tap controller in the EU. Which why? is why i couldn't have one it's something to do with regulations you know whether it's to do with the wiring or whatever it's yeah you can't have that that controller which is crazy so i've got the ramp master too which is you know it's perfect has everything i need um but yeah i, I couldn't i couldn't get the tap
1: well, let's talk to the americans right now I'll talk to american american <laughs> listeners if you have the tap control go contact evenheat and get yourself involved with a, a dongle and what the dongle is is it connect it's a awful name but it's the way it is hmm. it connects your t- your tap control to wi-fi and then you download an app and then you can get you can have uh all your information uh, on your on your heat treatment on your phone and the reason why i like it is because if i'm oh, man, to the oh man that's station, not hand
2: making a knife that's 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 using an app well
1: <laughs> i mean here's what it is for me here's what it be I mean, well they told me this spence told me this you can't turn it on from your phone. And the reason why is because they don't want anybody burning people's houses down. Yeah. So what it does is like I have – sometimes I have to run to the train station or I have to run to the hardware store. And the Wi-Fi dongle, I can check to see where I am on my heat treatment. So if I'm picking up my, my business partner at the train station and I already put my 440C in for 1,900 degrees and I need to know where I am and I know that oh, – I look at my, my app and it says all right, I'm at 1,475. I know that I have a certain amount of time to hmm. get back to the shop. So for yeah. me that was huge. So even he you did it again. Even <laughs> he, even they
2: they're, he. they're yes. like a family business too, you know? It's cool. They're amazing. dude. They're amazing. I love those
1: guys. I, yes. I tell you what. Spence Spence and his dad are awesome. His dad Mike had to put up with my nonsense for a week. <laughs> he call I called, they kept calling. The woman who answered the phone knew I was calling. Oh, yeah, he's waiting for you. They helped me. He walked me through, and then for some reason I couldn't download the right. I didn't upgrade the thing, and he sent me what I needed. He's mm. those guys at Even Heat if for no other reason than the customer service. Yeah, I mean the, the kilns are awesome. I love their ovens, but the customer service is unbelievable. So Even Heat, or you know, that's
2: the way it is. Yeah. I don't. I, I try not to curse anymore. <laughs> I, my last one was they so. That's it, what I've saved. That's what I've saved from the workshop. I've got the the Tormac, the even heat, and the the belts from combat abrasives.
1: That's it. That's all really
2: all you need. I guess. Mean, I I
1: think I probably have to save. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think I'd have to pull an anvil and a hammer up. Hmm.
2: But doesn't your anvil now have have a chip on the horn?
1: <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna internationally out my buddy. Well, yes, <laughs> it's got more than just a chip. We had a we had a we had a Incident. Hey, John, John, you didn't think this was going to happen to Jim. Well, basically <laughs> there was a catastrophic injury to one of my horns. No, all right. So basically anvil anatomy on this particular fisher, my city anvil, is there's a – the top piece is forge welded to the bottom. So that also included the horn. So back in the day, talk about customer service from the 1800s, they didn't properly forge weld the horn onto – the top of the horn to the regular rest of the horn. Hmm. So Dave Cordelia was doing some nonsense and I had a hammer and all these, all these knife makers and bladesmiths and they were all knocking it about and Dave loosened it up. And then all of a sudden big John Aryan was striking and he was, he was striking something big and that thing flew right off, but it wasn't really John's fault, but I like to think that it was. <laughs> So Cliff, Cliff, and John are going to take care of my handle at some point. We're going to, but they're my. It's you know, look, you you can't trust those. remember they say they don't make them like they used to. Hmm. They do make them like they used to. They're still fucking garbage. (laughs) So, so I'm I'm going to support you. I appreciate everything that you've done, and I want to make sure that you know everybody just give give Craig a hand because he gives so much content. He goes out of his way, and we need to support him
2: because. He's doing a great job. I'm with you. That's a sign-off if ever I hear of one. I'm with you. All right.